Thank you. Thanks, uh, Laura. Good evening, everyone. I think uh, it's obvious that I'm the postgrads uh, pastor. My name's Christopher, one of the clergy uh, here, and it's really great to be able to um, speak uh, to you this evening. And um, also to mention, if you are here and you're a new postgrad, um, Hughes, amazing postgrad uh, sweatshirt in amazing yellow has just caught my eye. How could it not? Uh, anyway, uh, do look out for us, and there will be a group meeting up after the uh, service. Shall we pray as we begin? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that we have already met you in bread. And we pray now that we would together feast on your word and know the fullness of life in your spirit. So we pray in your name. Amen. Well, Laura ended uh, that reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, you all chimed. And uh, I sometimes think about these phrases that trip off the tongue, either in church uh, or indeed in life beyond. And I wonder how many uh, of you, like me, uh, sometimes find yourself in this tiny little exchange, how are you? I'm fine. And then we carry on. And does that resonate with anyone? Uh, even at times like this, when the honest answer may not be, I'm fine. Uh, I had to check myself, and the reason it's been on my mind is that um, a week or so ago, I found myself responding to the question by saying, um, oh, not too bad, which, of course, uh, can translate as English for, you know, I've just received some really terrible news. Um, and this is part of the problem, isn't it? And sometimes I wonder, does church risk becoming complicit with that kind of way of being? Do we come here on a Sunday and say to each other, how are you, I'm fine, and move on? I kind of hope not. It's part of the reason we emphasize the value of small groups where you have the opportunity really to get to know one another and journey together. But it has always really profoundly mattered to me that Christianity doesn't do that, doesn't go that kind of way of a very sort of shallow uh, interaction with other people or a very shallow uh, <clears throat> answer to the wider world, but rather that Christianity is able to look the reality of what we're facing and say, yes, there is a decent thing to say in response to suffering or human tragedy or uncertainty. And that is, of course, the reality that we are living but my uh, suggestion to us this evening is that these words from Colossians and Christianity in general offers us a sure and certain hope, particularly at times that are so terribly uncertain. And I think this has always really mattered to me in my own Christian life and the sort of growth of uh, my faith, because as, as some of you know, when I was four years old, our family was uh, afflicted with a terrible tragedy in that my older half-brother was killed in a car accident. And it's, it's the kind of thing, as many of you sadly will know, those kinds of seismic events cause you to rethink absolutely everything. And uh, 
I think, to be honest, it meant that I became a particular kind of nightmare at Sunday school. My parents, interestingly, started going to church uh, after that as a result of the love that they were shown uh, in that community. Um, a little so aside is that the, the local vicar ended up taking my brother's funeral just three days before my sister's wedding. So you can imagine the kind of uh, experience it was. But I was that child who, whenever a well-meaning Sunday school might say something kind of upbeat about Jesus or, you know, upbeat about the Christian faith, I was uh, quick with the question, well, why would this apparently lovely God who wants to feed people and heal people, you know, why would this terrible thing happen? And so it has always really mattered to me that church doesn't offer a kind of comfort blanket sort of approach to life, a kind of escapism, if you like, but nothing more, but rather that in the gospel we find something that can actually face the very toughest of situations and give us a compelling answer. And I guess, you know, the reason I stand before you uh, as a Church of England minister is that I believe that is the case. I believe that we do have a tradition which can give those kinds of reassurances. Of course, at a time like this, we also have to take really seriously just how varied all of our experiences are. I'm a parent of three young children, so there were times in lockdown where life was just so sheerly chaotic, you know, that a day could sort of zip by, even if we weren't able to go and do the things that we might have wanted to. And then I might talk to a postgrad who was sitting in a small room, having not had any physical contact with anyone for several days. And each of us are facing these very different uh, experiences. I hope that actually those of us who are gathered here tonight have a real heart for those who we know cannot be here because they're shielding. And are we reaching out to them? Are we checking in with them? Are we offering the hope of the gospel uh, as well as just some good neighbourly support to them. Well, this magisterial passage from the book of Colossians is uh, thought to have perhaps been a hymn of praise, which Paul uh, adapts uh, and uses in his letter to this particular church. And Jesus is affirmed as the pre-existing agent of creation, and then later in the passage, as this amazing reconciler. Now, this evening, hold on to your hats. I'm doing something I've never done uh, in a sermon at St. Aldate's before. I have a diagram. It's a diagram followed by a picture. So if you hate diagrams, or if you think it's a rubbish diagram, um, you know, you can enjoy the picture instead. But this is the first verse we come to. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And what I'm wanting to try and help us think about is just this kind of seismic supremacy that Paul is describing, the kind of awesome nature of the claims that are being made. So this is a little rattle through where we are standing, if you like, in salvation history and some of the things that we, we may or may not do uh, as we navigate this. So what happens in the Christian tradition? Well, there's the creation and then human beings get involved, so we have the fall. But then Jesus comes along, 
and redemption happens through and on the cross, uh, and then the life uh, of the kingdom. And it seems to me that often we can associate these particular events with particular parts of the Godhead. And I think part of what Paul is wanting to do is just remind us of this sheer enormous God who is involved in and across it all. But so, for example, we might look at creation and think, ah, yes, the Father or we might look at the work of the cross and say, well, self-evidently, here is the Son. Or indeed, we might think about the kingdom being energized at Pentecost and say, well, of course, this is about the Holy Spirit. But what about this sense uh, of the Son, for example? All things we've read in verse 16 have been created through him and for him. He's the firstborn over all creation. Or think about John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So this sense of the sun kind of stretching uh, across it all. But then, of course, the Father His job isn't exactly just done at creation. Think of the Lord's Prayer that we've already prayed this evening, the sense in which in our day-to-day lives, we are called to call on God as Father. So this work of the Father is, again, across all space and time. And then the Holy Spirit, as I've mentioned, which you might think of being uh, particularly at Pentecost or particularly at these moments of filling and infilling. But of course, don't forget that the very second verse of the Bible reminds us that it was the Spirit of God hovering over the waters at creation. Uh, I think you're getting the idea, this sense uh, of this expansive God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work through it all. And for me, these amazing words uh, of Paul here, that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things. So whatever it is that is on your mind this evening, or that is causing huge challenges in your family, or causes you profound uncertainty, or is stimulating your fear. This is the promise, that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. As I say, you may hate diagrams, you may particularly hate that diagram, in which case, here is Salvador Dali's Uh, painting the Sacrament of the Last Supper, which can be found in the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. It is huge. It is several meters across. Uh, And I saw this when I was 16 uh, in Washington, D.C., and then at least it was displayed uh, in front of a kind of mezzanine set of stairs. So between two galleries, you kind of went down one set of stairs. You could view it from the kind of midpoint Uh, and then you could go down. So it meant if, as I did, you first found, came upon it from the upper gallery, initially all you could see is this torso, these arms kind of stretching out, and you have no idea what's going to be further down uh, in the painting. And then, of course, inescapably, the figure of Christ uh, and the Last Supper, but all in a very 
uh, abstract way. Um, although uh, the, the gallery says, you know, the lack of shock value separates this from most of Salvador Dali's uh, other works. It's not particularly typical. And then there are all sorts of intriguing questions, like, for example, is the torso the resurrected Christ? But if so, why are there no visible wounds, for example? And Dali himself apparently said, heaven is to be found exactly in the center of the bosom of the man who has faith. Heaven is to be found exactly in the center of the bosom of the man who has faith. Well, um, leaving aside the use, his use of the word bosom, perhaps that didn't translate from the Spanish, but um, it seems to me that this picture kind of conveys some sense of this kind of awesome holding, which I'm so interested in us thinking about this evening. And I suppose the question is, do we really believe, whether we like this painting or we like diagrams or not, do we really believe that God in his fullness, can hold and kind of oversee even the terrible, terrible nature of the world that we are living in uh, at the moment. You might think, I thought of Psalm 91, the opening verses, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Do you really believe that there is a refuge to be found in Jesus Christ in all that we're facing? It's not a problem I think we have particularly in our church, but I think the church, there's quite a lot of sort of functional atheism around, if you like. You know, we kind of go through the motions and we hope for the best. But it's not as if we really believe that this stuff actually matters. But I hope and pray that we are a community who really believe that this stuff is true. And that therefore we do go out from here and bear a different kind of hope because of the work on the cross and all that has flowed from it. Well, if this claim uh, in verse 16 uh, is extraordinary enough, um, it gets better if, like me, you're a great enthusiast for the church, because we read uh, in verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Well, of course, actually, the reality, I might like the church, but most people, when they hear about the church uh, or they read this passage, they would go, oh, no. Many people we know, they like the idea of Jesus, but they're not quite so keen on the church. And of course, uh, this is a week of shame and disgrace for the Church of England following the publication of the Independent Inquiry into Child Sex Abuses report uh, on the Church of England and the Anglican Church in Wales. Terrible, terrible, awful, inexcusable, indescribable things have happened in the very place which should be more safe than any other. Uh, and if you are someone who has ever been affected by that, even years ago, it's so important that you speak with someone. And we have a safeguarding officer within our own church. You can find Fumi Duradola's details on our website. Uh, 
indeed, there's also information on the notice boards through, uh, through the archway there. The church so often fails. It is this imperfect human institution. And yet, it is also God's best hope this side of the second coming because the baptized people of God become an extension of Jesus's body. And the church has Jesus Christ at its head. And this may blow our mind kind of philosophically, but it is the truth that the Christian faith proclaims. So, by the way, that, uh, even if you worry about the church as a denomination, it is a reason to get baptized, to become part of this crazy, imperfect body, but the very thing that is the extension of Christ here on earth. The uh, church leader, Nicky Gumbel, um, he has a kind of rotation of tweets which come out uh, every so often, but one of the ones that I really like is, um, stop looking for a perfect church. It does not exist. Join an imperfect church and serve in every way you can to make it nearer perfection. I think that's wonderful. We can, if we're looking for perfection in a church, we're completely asking the wrong kind uh, of question. And of course, actually, the church's task can feel completely impossible because of the fact that we should be a diverse, ragbag assortment of people with all sorts of kind of skeletons in our closet. You know, every different sort of expression of humanity should be welcome and present here. And one of the curious things about you know, being an ordained minister is that you do sort of get to know the flock, as it were. So I look out at this a group of people, and I know that we are like that. I'm sure we could be better. Of course we could be better. But there is an amazing diversity within St. Aldate's, which is reflective of what Christ himself says about what his body should look like. But of course it does mean that, you know, sometimes you feel like praising and I don't, or you know, you're feeling enthusiastic about one aspect of church life and I may not be. And this is complex and this is why this promise that all things ultimately hold together, I think is so significant. We were singing Waymaker, that amazing, fairly recently uh, written song uh, a few months ago. And I knew that there were some people present facing the most awful bereavement, almost imaginable. And yet there we were singing, God's a promise keeper and a miracle worker. But I knew in my heart that God hadn't apparently worked the miracle that would obviously have been wanted uh, in that situation. And this is the kind of complexity and tension that as a church we always have to hold because God maintains his status as a miracle worker and a promise keeper, just as we are still facing terrible situations where the story, this side of heaven, doesn't end the way that we, with our human perspective, would hope. And if we didn't know that pre-COVID, my goodness, we know it now. This passage, I think, is interesting to read for all sorts of reasons. This passage from Colossians tonight, 
alongside Romans 8. Uh, and indeed, Romans 8 was referenced in a way that encouraged me in our prayer meeting beforehand. Romans 8 is another fantastic, epic piece uh, of scripture. But it's also something that can really grate for certain people at certain times if the church isn't managing to hold these tensions appropriately. I, I wonder if there are people in the room who at some point in their Christian life, someone has sidled up to them and shared Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works to the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I believe that verse. I lean on that verse. But you can share that verse in a way that is so profoundly unhelpful to people if you're not careful. But of course, you need to read it in context. What do we read in the rest of Romans 8? For who is there to condemn us? For Christ Jesus who died, and more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for us. It's a good reminder if you're ever thinking, well, what is the ascended Christ up to these days? He is at the right hand of God interceding for us. I wasn't expecting that to get a laugh, but, you know, live preaching, you never know. But, you know, I, I think it's a good question. Anyway, um, meanwhile, Romans 8 continues, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's the promise that in him, all things really do hold together. And we may find this incredibly difficult, and it may be that we're stuck in the middle of something where we find it extremely difficult to see anything that looks positive. And yet, God himself tells us that even in that place, he refuses to separate himself from his sons and his daughters. <clears throat> this God is with us in it all. And he promises us this unshakable hope, not just the future hope of eternity, though that's a pretty amazing hope, but he promises us the life of the kingdom uh, in the here and now. This week, uh, Simon was teaching the staff from <clears throat> Philippians. I've done that thing of uh, having a drink of water and it's only making it worse. Anyway, I will persist. Um, uh, this week, Simon was teaching the staff from Philippians uh, 1, where Paul, facing considerable challenges, writes this, I will continue to rejoice. <laughs> That's something to put on your fridge, isn't it? You know, as COVID descends in the depths of winter. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. That's the kind of hope that we can hold on to at times of political uncertainty 
or health uncertainty, job uncertainty, whatever else it might be, that God in Jesus Christ loves us and does not abandon us. He is before all things, and he's the one in whom all things hold together. And he's the one, by the way, who promises us true freedom from the things that bind us and restrict us, and he promises us fullness of life. And I have to say, one of the huge privileges of the work I do with postgrads is exactly that, seeing people recognize where they are held back and asking God to set them free. And it happens. It happens in ways that can only be to do with Jesus Christ, because it is his name that is called upon in those moments of prayer, and his healing, his freedom, his deliverance even, that is found. Later in this amazing passage from Colossians, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the power of the work of Good Friday, then carried through into the life of the kingdom, the life of the church. Jesus dying on the cross not being the end, but rather being the beginning of the release of this work, which you and I are called to participate in. But what about you? Our passage ends with this observation about the church at Colossae. Once you were alienated from God, but now he has reconciled you. And for those who are like Paul's first hearers, you already know this truth. The question to quote verse 23 is whether you will continue in the faith established and firm, not moving from the hope held out in the gospel. I had a really interesting email from someone about their thoughts of the number of people whose faith was kind of wavering as a result of COVID. Are we able to stand established and firm, not moving from the hope of the gospel? Have we got a sense of the gospel which is compelling and deep enough that it can even withstand the horrors uh, of COVID or the uncertainty of the global political landscape or whatever uh, else it might be. Uh, Simon this morning mentioned that this was his uh, 23rd Freshers' Sunday uh, in St. Aldate's. I think we should just applaud him for that, actually, uh, for nothing else. Um, <clears throat> For me, it's only number four, um, but it did get me thinking about the previous Freshers' Sundays, um, and particularly, actually, the first one. Um, I was licensed here one particular Sunday in September four years ago. Carolyn, my wife, uh, had a miscarriage the following weekend, and it meant that Freshers' Week uh, and much else sort of passed uh, in quite a blur. We were already blessed with two young boys at the time. Uh, on Saturday next week, um, we will celebrate our daughter Mary's second birthday. So we were very fortunate with how that uh, process uh, happened. Um, we 
she had a miscarriage as her very first pregnancy, which um, was much more traumatic and uncertain. But at times like that, the question is, do we become functionally atheist? Do we just struggle and suffer like the rest of the world? Or do we have a hope that can look at these situations and not be overwhelmed by them, even when the miracle that we might have been hoping for didn't come to pass? And that's where I think this passage is so very precious, because God isn't promising us a free pass from all suffering, but he is promising that in him all things hold together, that there is an ultimate coherence that we may not be able to see with our earthly perspective, but he sees and he promises never to abandon us even in the midst of suffering. And we know that no Christian life is immune from suffering or hardship. And frankly, perhaps the more suffering and hardship one faces uh, as a Christian, the less one is convinced by these easy answer, nugget kind of approaches to Christian hope. But how do we ensure that we're not those who lose our faith at times of great struggle and trial? And I think this vision in Colossians of the supremacy of Christ is one of the most beautiful expressions in the whole of Scripture of the fact that, to think again of that Dali painting, Christ really is over it all. That's then asserted at the beginning of the next chapter. We'll come to it uh, in a few weeks' time. So my hope and my prayer for each of us this evening, for you and for me, is that whatever struggles we're facing, whatever uncertainty or tragedy there is in our lives, that we will be able to pray and praise and worship in hope and trust, because in him all things hold together. Would you like to stand? We're going to worship shortly, but may we pray. You may wish just to hold out your hands as a sign of being open to receive from God. And uh, I invite you um, in, in the silence to speak to God, your Father, who we can call Abba, Daddy, Papa. I wonder whether for some people there are issues uh, of pain and fear and uncertainty which actually you haven't really been sharing with him. You've been seeking just to face in your own strength.
And part of this is about actually having the courage to abandon ourselves to him. To say, here I am, God, with all of my mess or fear or uncertainty. But would you minister to me? Would you remind me of your fatherly goodness? Would you remind me that you are over it all? That you already knew what I would be facing and you are with me. So come Holy Spirit, Please, Lord, minister to your people. Lord, we're facing so much. And if you're being reminded of the touch of the Father at this time, if you're being reminded of the goodness of God, of his love for you, we'd love to pray with you. So do feel free to come forward as we worship and continue to pray and minister. And uh, a member of the prayer ministry team will meet you here and then uh, pray with you either here or in the East End.